They are guides, all guides and nice. Hi, Ben, and welcome to the Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. In this special episode, we're going green for St. Patrick's Day. But not in the way you may think. We're taking a deep dive into the green girls of guiding, which are the Pathfinders. Afterwards, we'll actually go to Ireland and hear about Sinead Burke, an Irish Girl Guide Honorary Ambassador. Sinead is a writer, but is also well known for her work in activism in the fashion industry. Although she's not a former Girl Guide herself, we think she's earned the honorary title. And lastly, we couldn't end the episode with any other song other than the Pathfinder song. And while doing some digging for information, I discovered that there are actually two Pathfinder songs. Um, so we'll share both of those. And I also found a little bit of interesting Girl Guide history connected to one of them. Very exciting. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. Um, I got really excited when I found out what it was. I sort of had to do some connect the dots, but I think I've got my information right. We'll hear from older guiders if, if not, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, but speaking of older things, um, going back in time, we're going to start with the history of Pathfinders, which is the third oldest branch, no, sorry, fourth oldest branch in the Girl Guides of Canada organization. Um, I have found actually talking with international girl guides and girl scouts that this level is often merged with like rangers and they don't have five, they have four levels. Mm -hmm. So I think it's quite interesting that girl guides found that they needed to create this branch. Um, and it began in 1979 and was actually a result of research that they had done into the changing needs of Canadian girls. So there was definitely a call for it. And it was something that they wanted to create for those girls. Um, and it's, uh, the group of girls who are ages 12 to 15. Um, and before Pathfinders existed, a lot of the time, so there was only guides and then it went up to the senior branches. Um, and the senior branches were divided into three. We might get into that in a different episode. We've also covered it a little bit like briefly in the Canadian Girl Guide mm -hmm. history. But um, yeah, so before Pathfinders existed, what would frequently happen is that guide companies or guide units would start a senior patrol for that age group because they found, I think there was such a distinct difference between the older girls and the younger girls in guides. Yeah. So in their patrols, they just dedicated one to the older girls and it seemed to work at the time. But I think eventually there was just such a strong need for it. There's so many of those girls that um, they just needed an entirely different program for them. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it started in 1979. And it is, as of today, still the second newest branch of Canadian guiding. We have not had a new branch added um, basically since Sparks. Um, I think Link has sort of come in and out a little bit. It's existed and not existed. And... It's sort of a weird one and and rangers and senior branches it's like they're it's still this like senior branches is what rangers is today like yeah they just it, i don't know if you can say that's names. a new branch yeah yeah kind of rebranded versus rebranded is a good um, explanation yeah 
Yeah, I find it surprising that other countries don't have anything for girls in this age group, the 12 to 15, that they have, I think their age groupings differ a little than Canada's. Mm -hmm. Like, Uh, I think guides goes a little bit older, and then, like, their ranger section starts a little bit younger. Yeah, but the, like, just the maturity difference between, like, a first-year guide and a first-year pathfinder and a first-year ranger, Mm -hmm. um, like, they're all so different, and... It's not so much in Ontario, but in a number of other provinces where they have middle schools, um, it's grades seven to nine, which is what the age group of Pathfinders is. So giving girls who would be, you know, in middle school, a branch of their own kind of makes sense as well. But yeah, yeah. I I have a feeling that probably played into it as well, Mm -hmm. into the demand, at least for it. So yeah, that's that was the start of Pathfinders. It seems like longer ago, but um, the 40th anniversary was just last year, which yeah. sadly we didn't get to celebrate as much of it as we would have hoped um, because a lot of things were canceled and postponed and whatnot. <sighs> so it would have been nice to have more of a celebration with, hmm. the, with the unit, but maybe we'll just do that later. <laughs> um, we'll do his 42nd birthday. Yeah. I mean, or we can, I mean, I can't wait for the 50th. That'll be exciting. I'm sure they'll do more for 50. Um, it's a, it's a bigger number. Yeah. But yeah. So Pathfinders was created over 40 years ago and they pretty much started right away with wearing um, green and white in their ties and their necker ties um, or scarves, whatever you want to call them. So that's why we call them like green and why I refer to them as green because like green is synonymous with pathfinders in mm-hmm. guiding here. So that's what we do. Um, and uh, their name pathfinders was chosen um, from the writings of Lord Baden-Powell who had described in general terms that pathfinders are those who could find their way in a strange country, um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I would like to hope that by the by at least the time Pathfinders age out and um, move on branches, um, that they would be able to do so, <laughs> be able to find their way in a foreign country. Um, and having taken girls like third year Pathfinders and up over to like a totally different world, like Amsterdam, um, by the end of the trip, they definitely could navigate no problem. They had no trouble. Yeah, it's... Um... I'm not sure if I could do it alone at that age, but with a group um, of friends, I could definitely, you know, find my way around somewhere I wasn't comfortable in and, you know, pull out that map that, you know, kids hate, but is so, so useful um, and find my way back to where I need to be. Yeah, it's it's about wayfinding, and I think that's a really good metaphor for what that part of your life is. It's about finding your way and finding out who you are and what you want to do and mm-hmm. setting yourself up. Um, so that's why they are called Pathfinders. I really actually like the name. Um, I know some, again, in other countries, there's different names for the different groups, and I think... Some are interestingly chosen more so than others, but I think this one was really well named. Um, I like yeah. it. Um, so the original program um, that 
you know, was published as in the same year as the Pathfinder program branch, um, ended up being changed in 1985. And that was just a result of a survey of the hundreds of members at a national conference of Pathfinders and their guiders in that year, 1985. So it didn't take long before the program was already changed. Mm-hmm. Um, changing needs, I guess, changing society. Um, and then in 2004, it had another program revision and started with a new program um, that was launched in the summer of 2005. And as we all know, that has also again changed um, since the girls first launched in 2000. And 18. I guess officially that was 2018. Yeah. yeah. So um, it has actually gone through several program changes changes through its 40 year history but I mean at the same time things have changed more rapidly as we've gone along yeah I'm so surprised that in the 40 years Pathfinders has existed it's had four like different programs but like two of those programs were like 15 to 20 years without really changing or updating um and I'm not sure how much society as a whole changed between, well, lots of things happened and changed between the mid 80s and the mid aughts, but <laughs> the, not social, but environment that girls live in between the mid aughts and 2018 when the program changed again, like the internet became a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and how you have a program for 15 years that doesn't address or, like really address um, how to use the internet um, and to be smart and safe on the internet for kids who are using the internet all the time. Um, I don't understand, but. Yeah, I grew up with that, um, the program before the girls first. So also sort of, I can remember, I mean, at the time it wasn't too bad. You could also adapt a lot of the activities yourself, but if you were to just flip through the book, it it kind of did feel a little old in, in certain activities and you were like, okay, well, I guess we'll do it this way, which was just a lot of like, there was a lot of um, drama games. There was a lot of acting things out. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of discussion, which Lots is of like one of the biggest reasons. Yeah, skits were like or create creating something artwork wise Um, there was really not a lot of I don't think there's anything on cybersecurity of any form definitely I think most of that that sort of side of things was about tv and movies and magazines and things that I mean tvs and movies yes still are big Mm -hmm. but I think magazines is one thing that not as many kids read anymore I used to read them quite a bit but yeah different different times um yeah I'm in the same boat and like I was a pathfinder leader under the old program and the girls just weren't engaging with it um you can only ask them to have so many discussions on so many topics um and it was hard to take some of the activities um, and change it up to give them something new and exciting and different. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what we ended up doing was just 
having holding on to these fun activities that we do it that we just made fit into the program so we were sort of doing girls first before we even knew it like we just right because you can count pretty much anything yeah unless it comes to things like um the citizenship certificate where like you actually do need to follow certain activities and do them but um when it came to most of the other badge work we were like no we're gonna do it this way and we'll do things that we know that the girls enjoy and we just repeated them because it was the most successful out of, yeah out of all the things in the book <laughs> um, one of the things that I was taught as a girl young guider junior leader I don't know some point in my guiding <laughs> career is that the program book is a book of guidelines not set in stone and yeah. as long as you know you're kind of keeping to the spirit of the activity and what the goals are you can do whatever you want yeah, I would say that's pretty fair, like with most things in guiding, and especially more so with the new program. But mm -hmm. yeah, so um, in terms of program, since we're on that topic already, I'll get back to uniform after. Um, the Pathfinder program in here in Canada, uh, typically Pathfinders meet once a week for about two hours, um, which is typically depending on what guide group you were a part of before is a half hour more. I remember meeting an hour and a half for guides. Some mm -hmm. might meet less or more. Totally depends. Um, basically every, every branch you sort of grow in how, how much time you can dedicate. Um, and then um, funnily enough, when you get to Rangers, sometimes you don't meet as often as once every week, but yeah. I mean that other things come into consideration. So yeah, uh, two hour a week commitment in some cases. Um, and in Pathfinders, there's a big change in terms of the way the program is delivered because this is when girls start to take the lead and they start to speak up and they start to become more active in the things that they believe in. Um, Teamwork is a huge highlight in Pathfinders, teaching them how to work together, teaching them how to lead one another. Um, there's also more emphasis on them organizing their own activities, events, and outings. So asking them, okay, what do you want to do for camp? What theme do you want it to be? What do you want to eat? What do you want to do? Where do you want to camp? Um, so they're involved in the planning process a lot more than they would have been in guides. Um, and then lastly, they're encouraged to explore more of their own interests um, at this age level and more independently. Um, and the topics can range, but uh, basically anything that is of interest to you, you can go for it and do it. And it's totally fine by most guiders. Yeah. As long as it's appropriate, um, I've never really stopped any kid from doing what they want. No. If they want to try something new or explore something different. Exactly. Um, and then there are a few more awards available for Pathfinder girls, um, more so than maybe is what uh, provided in the guide program. So there are three big ones. The first one, of course, is the Canada Accord. That's probably the that is the highest achievement you can earn as a Pathfinder for, from the Pathfinder program. Um, and to earn that, you need to earn all eight uh, Girls First program area badges. So eight badges, as well as the two theme badges per area badge. So you end up coming out with 24 badges earned um, in total. So 
Um, it's usually not too hard to do that by the end. I, that's never the one thing that's, that's always checked off on a girl's list of things to do for the Canada Corps program is never. Or like they're one or two short and it's easy to, yeah. like it's not yeah, and it's a hurdle. In the areas of like Canadian history and connections or citizenship. Citizenship is the harder one to cover. Oh, definitely. Um, so you have to earn your citizenship certificate, um, which is separately earned. Um, and I'll get back to you later. And you also have to earn your community service award. Again, I will get back to that because that's a thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to participate in bridging activities with rangers and with younger girls. And that is for, fairly simple. It just is two activities with rangers. Um, and then planning at least one meeting or three activities at a camp for younger girls or an event. I'm sure it really matter too much, mm-hmm. um, which is why we often do um, like a, a weekend camp for Sparks Brownies um, or we'll just, you know, plan a Halloween meeting or something. I know we did that last year. Um, so something like that. It's fairly simple to do. And especially like us, we have rangers who meet in the same area as we do. So we often will just meet together for a night or something. And then there you go. You've participated in two activities with rangers. No problem. Yeah. Um, uh, fifth component is learning about first aid. So you can either complete a recognized course, um, have a first aid focused meeting or invite a guest speaker who is, um, familiar with that area so they could be a local first aid responder a nurse or a first aid instructor in yeah instructor um and you just have to make a presentation on what you know what that's all about and get them to teach you some basic first aid skills um so if you can't do a full course you can just do a meeting have someone come in mm-hmm. um, again pretty simple you can probably cover it in a night or in a weekend um, And lastly is probably the more time consuming one. And the one that is the, usually the last one to get ticked off is um, learning and demonstrating leadership. And you do this either by planning and participating in three outdoor camps, which has to include sleeping in tents or shelters, um, has to have at least five meals and you have to stay at least one night overnight. Um, So you either do that or you plan and participate in three leadership events that altogether take approximately 24 hours um, in time. So if you're not a camper, you don't like to go camping, there is an option to just have these events and events could be like a weekend sort of, um, I forget what they call them, but I remember doing one in Pathfinders or Rangers. We did a skills day, I think it was for Sparks and Brownies. Um, I remember I as that a station about teaching how to build a fire. Um, that was kind of fun. Um, so yeah, things like that. You don't have to camp if you don't want to. So yeah, that's all the things you have to do for Canada Accord. Yeah, there's lots of options for that um, leadership component. Um, with the program that I started my Pathfinder career in, I didn't finish <laughs> it in. I um, I had the started the uh, my Pathfinder career under the eighty five program. That must have um, been so weird. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of the details of it. I know there was nothing about technology, um, but you 
it was eight badges, I think, that you earned. Um, and each badge had a different level. So you got bronze, silver, or gold, which is where the gold camp thing comes in. Um, your gold camp was planning, participating, running a outdoor camp, um, including doing all the safe guide paperwork. <laughs> um, so I just like very clearly remember that um, and very clearly remember the color difference between the bronze and the gold wasn't very distinct. Um, <laughs> so it took a little bit of effort like matching which one was which. Um, but, um, I don't remember back then if there was a huge leadership, um, like event leadership component to it, um, either that or, uh, Tina didn't really give us that option. Um, we were encouraged to do, um, the camps, um, and we did, um, we also did a ton of leadership activities and ran skill days. Um, but we also did a lot of camps when I was Pathfinders. Like we were camping every other month or so through the year. Yeah. Like it was a lot. Um, I think unless like a Pathfinder tells you that she's not really into doing the camping or just can't, sometimes it's a scheduling thing and they just can't do a full yeah. weekend of camp. Um, we had a girl like that last year and she ended up just planning events also because of COVID. She had to just plan them and couldn't necessarily execute them, which is too bad. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think that's a thing that um, has changed because of how Girl Guides of Canada wants to be more inclusive. I think they realize that camping can sometimes cut a lot of girls off because they're not interested in that side of guiding, but they just want the connection with other girls their age I think so that might be why they've included events rather than just camping yeah it is nice to have that flexibility mm -hmm. um so yeah that's the Canada Accord and um, the other so the two awards within the Canada Accord that you have to earn are first of all the community service award um, and that is where girls are going out into their community, um, first of all, learning about how they can make a difference and also making a difference. So to earn your community service award, you have to complete three different types of service projects on the three different themes, which include um, supporting your community, going global international and environmental awareness. And altogether, you have to volunteer for approximately 15 hours, and you can divide that time between the three themes however you wish. Um, and to earn that award, you just have to complete it while you're a Pathfinder. So a ranger can't earn it, and a guide can't earn it, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and like I said, the hours can the 15 hours can be divided among the three projects however you choose. Um, the only key component is that you have to participate in both the planning as well as the actual project. Um, so for instance, for environmental awareness, maybe you plan to clean up um, your local park, or your local trail, you have to participate in planning that event for your group or 
whoever you want participating. Maybe you're doing it for Sparks. Um, you have to plan that location, everything, safe guide if needed. And then you also have to participate in it to earn those hours. Um, and you can do these projects on your own or with others. It's up to you. You can, if you're a girl assistant, um, you can also do it with the branch that you um, assist with. It's totally up to you. Mm -hmm. um, and completion of the community service award cannot go towards um, earning your take action program area or your action theme badges. So that's separate, um, like as in on top of. Um, although I think there are several Pathfinder leaders I've spoken with or heard of that say like, ah, oh, they just count it for both. Um, especially if the girl's really close to earning it and you're just like, she puts so much time into it. Especially if you also know she's participating in other extracurriculars. Sometimes it's just like, well, I know she does a lot of work in this area, so we will count it. Yeah. Um, some people are more, you know, sticky with that than others. Um, and then the other one is the citizenship certificate. This one is sort of notorious, I think, in a lot of groups for being the hardest one to earn for girls. Um, I, I think the name of it sort of maybe explains why. Um, so basically that certificate demonstrates that Pathfinders are actively caring about Canada and the people around them. You can earn this in two different ways. So you can either complete two activities from each of the four categories and they are government, ceremonies, what being Canadian means to me and multiculturalism in Canada. I think maybe one of the reasons why it's hard to earn is because those topics are very similar to like taking um, a course in school, whether you're in high school or middle school, it just yeah. sounds very much school related. And I can understand maybe why there's not the drive to want to learn it because you're already learning it. Mm -hmm. um, so you can either do that or you can do one activity from each of those topics and then a service project. And the service project cannot, this one for the citizenship certificate cannot count towards your community service award. So you can't count it twice basically is what they're saying. Um, basically you're just going to, for that service project, provide a service, take action or speak out on an issue that is important to you. And it should involve a minimum of five hours, including planning and the action itself so oh. not too bad yeah i don't know about girls today but i got a really cool certificate from completing my citizenship award yeah I'm trying um, to i think i, I did too possibly i know where mine is so i will dig that out and send it to marissa so you can put it on social mm. um but it had because I'm a little bit older than you. I got the actual cord for my Canada cord, not the pin. Mm. So it had the um, pattern of the cord around whatever the body of the text was. And it was signed by my MP, I mm -hmm. believe. Uh, yeah. Either my MP or my MPP. Um because I also got letters of congratulations when I got my Canada Accord and Chief Commissioner Gold. The Chief um, Commissioner Gold is cool because you get one from every level of government. I, I remember didn't get getting a local it. One. I got. You didn't. Oh, that's too bad. I got. I know. But, I remember Premier and Prime Minister. That was the coolest. Was the Prime Minister, even though like at the time I'm pretty sure it was Stephen Harper. Mine was definitely <laughs> Stephen Harper. 
Uh, <laughs> not a fan of him, but you know, whatever. It's still a letter. <laughs> yeah, it was still a signed letter by the prime minister. I still had it hanging up in my bedroom for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I will. I think I know where all those certificates are. So I'll dig them out later this week and send you photos. Uh, yeah, me too. I can re- I can picture exactly where they are. And I know my chief commissioners is framed. I think so is my Canada cord. But the rest, all the other letters are like in a folder to be kept flat and safe, but they're like on a shelf. And I haven't looked at them in so long. So maybe I'll go look at them tonight when we're done, just because it's been a while since I uh, looked at them. But it's a yeah. very big accomplishment to achieve. And um, depending on where you are, um, and of course, what year it is and whether there's a pandemic, Pandemic happening. <laughs> you also get to go to a ceremony, which is really cool. Um, for Pathfinders, we just did a local one um, at a local church, and it was basically the couple Pathfinder units that had girls who were who had earned their Canada Accord. We had our mayor there. We had um, likely our um, our ACC, whoever that was. <laughs> I forget what that stands for whatever the uh, person in charge of our community at something the time. community leader associate yeah. community leader yeah so we had basically a representative of all and then the families were all there it was just really nice um and then when i got my chief commissioners we had a big one in london ontario and there Ooh. were girls from all over and um that was really cool it was really nice um big a little bit bigger of a celebration um and both my ranger leaders and LA showed up, which was really cool. <laughs> I was I was actually surprised to see her there. I didn't know she was coming, and um, it was really sweet. And it was just um, my friend Maggie and I. We were the only two that had earned ours in time for that ceremony, or could at Aww. least make that ceremony. Yeah. Um, so that was really special for the two of us. Um, I yeah, remember. Uh, because I did it in the GTA, we had one big ceremony for both, I believe, for both our Canada Court and Chief Commissioners. Um, and it was girls and guiders who got their uh, Canada Court, Chief Commissioner, and their 50-year pins. It was all one big ceremony um, at a local theatre. Um, they rented it out for um, everyone. Um, and when I think it was when I was getting my chief commissioner, um, my guide leaders were also there because they were getting something as well, or, um, one of their daughters was, I can't remember. So I have a photo of me with my two guide leaders, um, Mm -hmm. the day I got awarded my chief commissioner, um, which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was pretty that cool. Is cool. Nice being local because it was just, um, it wasn't even the next town over, it was the next community over that we had this award ceremony. So it was uh, like 20 minutes down the road. Um, so it was nice. Lots of local <laughs> people and friends and community members were there. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, I think now that you say that too, I remember at the chief commissioners one in London, it wasn't just chief commissioners. It was also Canada Accords and um, a few guiders too who were celebrating different um, commitments. I think there must have been a couple 50 years. But yeah, it was it was really nice. And it was funny because it was like in the 
dead middle of summer I think it was in July and so like guiding had finished and like I would be going to university in the fall so it was kind of a nice way to wrap it up a little bit not everyone like clearly none of the girls in my unit were there other than Maggie but um it was still kind of nice um yeah. so my leaders one last time that way and uh, we made a trip out of it because it's London Ontario and it's about an hour and almost 45 minutes like it's a long drive I guess depending on where you drive but it can be long an hour and a half sometimes depends but um yeah we made a trip out of it um so anyway back to Pathfinders (laughs) 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 we got into like awards that's what happens when you bring up memories but um, I know right so that's like briefly what the Pathfinder awards look like um, some of the other things that um, you can do in Pathfinders that's a little bit different is that you can become a girl assistant, which is the um, new phrase for junior leader. It's the same thing. Hasn't really changed much. Basically means that um, Pathfinder or Ranger age girls can assist in a unit that is at least two branches below them. That is mm-hmm. the rule. So if you're in Pathfinders, the oldest you can assist in is a brownie unit. Um, once you get up to rangers, you can assist in sparks, brownies, or guides. Mm-hmm. So whatever you may choose. Um, and that can really help again with earning badges and whatnot. Uh, there is also the chance to start to travel around, um, first of all, your country. So interprovincially and then internationally as well. I think I could not find a rule about this anywhere, but I think I've heard this rule is that third year pathfinders and up can travel internationally i think if you're first and second it's not usually um what's the word suggested or i don't know if approve i don't know if there's an approval yeah. for that. um it's um an age so it's one that yeah. like they actually care about your age um i think it's like 14 so it's not super yeah. I know I know on the nationally sponsored trips you had to be 14 by the time the first day of the trip yeah that that usually meant third year pathfinders because those trips were happening in the summer yeah Um, so I think it was like going into third year you could participate yeah yeah exactly um provincially interprovincially though like all pathfinders can participate and travel which is really cool and so can some guides I believe because or maybe you had to be third year guide because at Mosaic there were a couple third year guides in my unit that joined our pathfinder they were going to be pathfinders anyway so yeah I think that's I think where that rule also counts again it's like if you're going into your third year of, as guides then you can also mm-hmm. participate or something like yeah that. I think there's a hard age on that as well I could be wrong um and it's it's mostly for safety reasons but also for reasons of like being away from home at that age like having the distance between you and your family um is you know at least interprovincially like that age makes sense because then like they're old enough to have traveled at least before somewhere like Mm -hmm. whether it be a weekend camp or a week-long camp so it's not as far as it would be like overseas which is why an older age an older maturity level is required it just you know is is proven to have worked the best those age groups uh, yeah which is why they're chosen um yeah so Travel, huge thing in Pathfinders and Rangers. Um, if you're wanting to continue into Pathfinders and you're a guide, highly recommend it if you want to travel. Um, of course, not currently, but <laughs> in general, 
totally worth it. <laughs> um, and then lastly, one of the big things that they emphasize in Pathfinders is roles, not patrols. So in yeah. guides, you're most, and in brownies, you're most likely familiar with patrols. Um, in Pathfinders and Up, this is no longer emphasized because they want everyone to work together. And it's about having different roles throughout your unit. We typically, as a unit, have not had these roles, but I've heard of some use units using them. Um, so girls can start to take on things like treasurer, secretary, um, excuse me, uh, spokesperson, chair. Uh, the chair is basically someone who guides the discussions and the decision making. Um, I think it really depends on your group dynamic if you're going to give out these roles. Um, mm -hmm. I find more and more girls are less self-driven to want to take up roles like this um I'd be curious though to try it out and see what they thought like someone wanted to handle all the permission forms and money <laughs> I would gladly let them do that and they could learn some skills um I, I remember also looking through the girls who applied for the trip that I went on we got to read some of their bios um don't know if that's a secret or not but <laughs> I think they knew that um and some of them um, describe that they did have some of these roles in their units. So I don't think it's um, as uh, old fashioned as I think. I think it's actually still going in quite a few units. Um, I know when I was in Pathfinders, we had some of these roles um, and in Rangers as well. Um, I remember um, having, like, I was the backup secretary when I was in second year. Um, which, so we, I took, um, if the third year who was responsible for it wasn't there, I had to take meeting minutes, um, uh, which was basically who was there. So our attendance, um, what badges or activities we worked on, um, and if there was any upcoming things that we needed to make note of. So camps or events, um, or, you know, reminders, um, and had to email that out um, the day after, by the weekend or something. Um, we had a treasurer who collected forms and money and just kept track of it. Um, and then when I was a Pathfinder leader, um, girls who were running the meeting were in charge of taking attendance and collecting any paperwork or money that was coming in. Um, and marking it off and then bringing it to us for us to, you know, verify and um, sort out. So we took some of them and kind of changed it as, you know, girls don't check their email. So, you know, why send out meeting minutes? Um, things like that. But still having, you know, that structure and giving them that responsibility and not being swarmed by girls as they come in with forms and paperwork. Um, I like the idea of instituting these roles when we meet in person and it's like also once like it's safe to also be really close to each other because for now I'm okay handling paperwork yeah. because I don't want the girls to be doing it. But um, you know, once things are, are more settled and we can do things like we used to a little bit. Um, I would be okay with instituting something like a treasure, well, treasurer of sorts, I guess. Someone who basically collects the money and the forms, or maybe two people, 
Mm-hmm. And then also someone, like you said, we with the girls who le- leave their own meetings, um, they do have to take attendance, but, and they also have to tell us what program work they're doing. Yeah. But um, I like some of those roles. I think that would be cool. I also like the um, photographer version. I think that might maybe give the girls a fun role to take on, to be able to take photos because everyone has, not everyone, but most people have a device and I'm sure we could easily lend them one, you know, per mm-hmm. meeting if they, if that was something they were interested in. I think it gets them more involved. All of these roles get them more involved and yeah. maybe more excited about being there, right? It's like when you were in like kindergarten and I remember we used to get, each get a turn to take home like the stuffed animal of like our classroom, which was at the time it was Arthur and everyone <laughs> loved Arthur. So like everyone wanted to take Arthur home. Um, so it's, it's like that, but for older girls, right? Like you're giving yeah. them these, these roles and these chances to show their responsibility and prove it to you. So. Or when you're a little bit like older and taking the attendance to the office, they get out of class. Yes. I love doing that. I don't know what it was, but like, so I, that makes me think like, I think Pathfinders would enjoy it if, you know, we allowed them to try it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, something I think we will mm-hmm. hopefully get to in some form or fashion when it's allowed. Um, I will quickly talk about the 40th anniversary, although there was not a lot of information around, which is really yeah. sad. Um, all I could find was that basically it was celebrated last year, like last guiding year, um, which was 2019 into 20. Um, and there was some special programming on Girls First. You could do some of these old Pathfinder program um, activities. Uh, we did a few of them, I think. Mm-hmm. I led a couple of them on a night. Um, there were also a couple of events, depending on where you lived, what province you were in. There were some, um, I don't recall colony in our area but again it's all volunteer led so it's likely just whoever was excited I saw a couple on the um on different websites um and then there was merchandise of course there was lots of merchandise um not everyone was pleased with it but uh basically they took the old Pathfinder logo um it had Latin written around it and it was like the four quadrants of the circle um I kind of like the look of it but it didn't really mean much to me because I had never seen that logo before in my life so I was like eh, it doesn't remind me of my time in Pathfinders so yeah I didn't really especially love any of it um, but it was there for people who wanted to buy it it was also kind of caught me off guard that they were doing something like so much for the 40th anniversary um mm. it kind of seemed weird but they made a big deal of the they made a big deal about the Sparks 30th anniversary not that long ago um Mm -hmm. so I don't know um but hopefully in um 10 or so years when the 50th anniversary comes around they get more of their due um not being overshadowed by like the 100th anniversary of brownies um I think it's a way bigger (laughs) deal than the 40th anniversary of Pathfinders and unfortunately, they just overlapped. Um, I agree. I think it would have been better holding off until 50. Um, I think people would have, well, hopefully if they still do it, it'll be more exciting and uh, there will be more to do. Yeah. But, um, but over the last 40 years, the uniform has changed a lot too. Yes, it has. So in the 1980s, basically 1979 is when it started, <laughs> into the 80s. They started with um, a very conservative uniform, very traditional. It was a white blouse with either a navy skirt or navy pants that were, the navy skirt was quite long, 
Um, I want to say it was at least to mid-calf. Um, and then there was the white scarf that had um, green maple leaves and a blue border, like a navy blue border. Um, and then, of course, they have the Pathfinder sash, which was very unique. It was different from all the other sashes. Mm -hmm. It was short, and it was worn on your hip from the top of your pants or your skirt down. Um, and I want to say it was like a third of the length of like what a regular sash is like. Um, and so it was very, it actually looked really nice. It fit with all the other uniforms that girls were wearing at the time. Um, so yeah, that was worn in the, at the beginning of the 80s. And then from 1987 to the early, early 2000s, the uniform changed. And this was um, this era in Girl Guide history um, in Canada. The uniforms that were worn were designed by the Canadian fashion designer known as Alfred Sung. So people often refer to the Alfred Sung shirts. Um, that's what people refer to them as. I was not part of that era. I came just after the end of that one um, when I came into brownies at least. So I never got to wear any of the older stuff. Um, but I remember my mom had an old version of the brownie, like brown dress um, as I was going into brownies that fall, but we knew there was a new uniform out and I wanted the new uniform because I was like, there's no way I'm wearing that old <laughs> dress. I want to fit in. <laughs> like, I don't want to stand out. Um, so um, I said no to the dress. <laughs> I had the dress. Um, I got up. I thought I knew where my Pathfinder, my Pathfinder sash was. It's not where I thought it was. Um, but I had the brownie dress. I had, I think, a, a guide dress as well for at least my first year. That was a hand-me-down for my cousins. Um, but when I went to Mexico, when I was in Pathfinders, I had the Alfred Sung. We had to wear a nice shirt, yeah. <laughs> which none of us were overly impressed with. They were not fashionable. Yeah. Um, especially not fashionable to, um, we were, you know, 14, 15. Teenagers, or, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, but they were, they were nice. They are definitely, I wouldn't mind that look coming back now. Um, maybe yeah. a little bit updated. Like, I don't need a button-down blouse. <laughs> Um, no. I don't own any still to this day, um, but they were much nicer than the like blue stretchy polo shirts that came after them. <laughs> I mean, I like the look of a polo um, in some of the other organizations. They look really good. Like Australia has polos for their uniforms. Um, and who else does? There's at least a couple more, but it's based on their color scheme and it looks good but yeah I agree they're it's sort of nice but it's like at the same time eh, like uh, maybe not <laughs> um essentially what it was was like you said a white and blue striped um polo shirt t-shirt so short sleeves um there were blouses too that were longer um made of a different material and they were very thin stripes so from a distance you couldn't really tell that it was um, a striped shirt but Mm -hmm. up close as you could um and the scarf was heavily green mainly green with white accents like white lines um, they were white stripes white stripes um and then the uniform bottoms were navy i saw in a picture some girls were wearing jeans with that um so <gasps> it became less 
strict yeah. depending on the year because this was a long time this was from 87 to the early 2000s like that's yeah. a long time for one uniform so I think once we got to the early 2000s girls were wearing jeans with um with their uniforms um and the sash was again still worn um by a lot of girls at that time um, and then we get into 2002 to 2011. Um, for me, this is when I started brownies. So I never, like I said, got to wear any of the old stuff. Um, I was thrown right into the new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were actually three different options for Pathfinders, I remember. There was the white t-shirt with the green sleeves, the green t-shirt with the white sleeves. So they were basically opposites. Yeah. And then the one that I remember because it was the first one I got was the white three-quarter length shirt uh, had a bit of a collar and a zip um and yeah it was I mean it was it was weird because all the branches were quite distinctly different um which I mean was normal based on previous uniforms but it was mm-hmm. still a little odd because even the design wasn't the same in a lot yeah. of ways I like I remember these uniforms I don't remember them being almost 10 years um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, they were interesting colors. I remember the shirts not being particularly good quality. Um, the sizing too was really yeah. weird. It was very boxy. Like it wasn't long enough. It was very wide and very short. And that's what yes. a lot of people would complain about the sizing. Um, yeah. Um, and you didn't mention there was a baseball tee in this group of uniforms as well. Oh, yes, there was. That was, I want to say, a white trunk with green sleeves. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, hmm. I don't remember. I don't think, yeah, I'm trying to remember if at that time there was still a guide store in town when I went to get mine. I think that was maybe there the was. last time. That was the last time I might have gone to the guide store in Waterloo before it closed and then that was it. And then you had to start yeah. buying online. Um, there was around that time, or at least they were starting to phase them out because I had to go to the guide store to get um, my uniform before I went to on my Switzerland trip. Um, and it was when I was going to private school in Toronto. Um, and the store was like two or three subway stops away from my school. So between exams, I had like two hours between exams. I had to leave campus, get on the subway, go to the guide store, buy my, like try on and buy my uniform and get back before I wrote my next exam. So I very clearly remember the Toronto store still being around um, in that time. Um, but while I was there, they still had a couple of the quick dry official girl guide shorts. Um, I don't know if you would have remembered those, Marissa. Um, but they had like official camp pants and shorts that were quick dry. Um, and I was able to get they were like on super sale because they were trying to get rid of them because they're so old. And um, I got a number of pairs of those and wore them for years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think <sighs> I still have them. Um, I think they might still even fit. <laughs> That's impressive. 
Yeah. Um, and then uh, from 2012 onwards, although I think that's not entirely correct. It might be 2013 because I don't remember this option being available in my last year of Rangers. Anyway, um, the uniform changed to being more um, cohesive. So everyone had a similar style blue shirt in the branches. The only difference was that the small like centimeter ring around the collar and around each of the sleeves was a different color band depending on what branch you wear. So sparks, mm-hmm. pink, brownies, brownies, brown. brown. Yeah. I always like hesitate between brown and orange because sometimes things are orange and sometimes things are Yeah. The <laughs> um, and so Pathfinder's had green. Peach was weird. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, I think it was 2019, same year as the girls' first platform. Um, or 2018, sorry. It was a navy blue t-shirt now um, with trefoil on the left side and a big trefoil on the back. Um, It's very much just a t-shirt and um, it is the same for all branches. There is no differentiator between any of of them. um, Including adults. Including adults. So adults also have the same um, style. Um, The reason being why they went with this is because they felt that, first of all, inclusivity, but also... um, for parents buying new uniforms every year, it was getting expensive. So they were hoping that this would cut down costs for parents so that they wouldn't have to buy a new uniform every two years. Um, yeah. However, in the end, like when you get up to like Pathfinders and Rangers, like the difference between those two branches, you end up buying a new uniform just because the first one doesn't fit anymore anyway. So yeah. Um, it makes it um, easier for yeah. hand-me-downs. Um you don't need to worry so much about sizing. You can get things to last a little bit longer. Um, yeah. I'm not a fan that's the same for youth and adults. Yeah. Uh, I wish there was a even a different shade of blue. Would have been great. Yeah. Um, I know, like, especially with us and Pathfinders. Um, not so much anymore, but, like, when I started with Pathfinders, like, I didn't look that much different than them. Um, like right out of university well yeah yeah it's funny because not this past um fall but the fall before um we were sitting on the front steps of the building we were um meant to be meeting in on the first night and a couple parents had started coming up with the girls and I was sitting with Chloe one of our um other young leaders at the Mm -hmm. time she was still in university um but we were sitting there chatting and a parent came up to us and he's like, so are you, are you girls or are you leaders? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we look like, like older Pathfinders, right? Or like even Rangers. So it is yeah. really hard to tell. Even huh. with, even with at that time, I still had my, and I still do have my old uniform t-shirt, but like, you can't tell. No. Um, so yeah, I wish there was a little bit difference between youth and adults. But I do like that um, it is the same uniform. I don't disagree with the fact that it's the same uniform for all the youth branches, taking into the account of cost of mm-hmm. uniforms and making it a little bit easier. Agreed, um, agreed. And I actually, I finally did give in and buy one of the uniform shirts. And I was 
really surprised by the feel of this t-shirt. It's really soft. Like it is not your standard Gilladin t-shirt. It's much nicer. Okay. Um, so I will say it's comfy. Um, size wise, I think I just followed everyone's recommendation um, and the size chart. You just buy for what you know. If you've bought online enough times, you end up learning what yeah. it fits and what um, so. I still it's have um, the straight powder blue polo uniform from mm-hmm. um, a little too long ago to admit that I haven't updated my uniform shirt, but I didn't like the updated blue polo and I just haven't needed um or haven't gotten into updating to the newest shirt yet um but it's definitely time that I get my new uniform in order maybe the next time we put a unit order in I'll uh ask to get that included save myself the shipping Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, yeah it's um it is also before we move on it uh we still include the the tie it is not mandatory optional some mm-hmm. girls wear it that is really the only differentiator between branches is if girls are wearing their scars because they are still color coded um, yes essentially that's it <laughs> for the yeah one. and with pathfinders because we've gone quite over time <laughs> yeah maybe i'll ask jake to cut some of our memory trips out yeah uh, um but that brings us to our she was a girl guide you know sinead burke nancy reagan helen hayes jan davis jean sauve carrie fisher williams sister shirley temple black Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide, you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? On the is only one year older than me which when I realized that at near the end of doing this research um made me feel a little uh sad <laughs> um which you'll understand by the time I'm done so she was born in 1990 um and is the oldest of five children she has three younger sisters one younger brother uh, Sinead is a little person. She was born with, oh, I meant to look this up, androphlasia, I think, um, which is a type of dwarfism. And it's the um, type where your arms and legs are significantly short, um, but your torso is of average length. Um, and it is genetic. Her father's also a little person but her younger siblings are all of average height. Um, Same with her mom. Um, And Sinead is a writer, academic and disability activist. Um, So she's been keeping busy. Um, And one phrase that kept coming up with my research um, that didn't really fit in anywhere is the, either the phrase Um, If you can't see it, you can't be it. Or if you can see it, you can be it. Um, Which is something we've talked about a ton on the podcast. Of just having those people, um, role models in those positions 
so uh, young people and people with disabilities can see themselves in that position, even if it's not them exactly, it's um, something close that they, like, they know that they can um, achieve whatever they want. Um, so her education, I couldn't find anything about um, her um, primary or secondary education, but she um, went to school um, at the Teachers College at Trinity College to become a primary school teacher and taught um, grades six and seven um, for a few years. Um, she has a master's in broadcast production for TV and radio. And in the limited free time she has, she's currently working on her PhD, also at Trinity College, on human rights education, focusing on exploring the voice of the child in school or in the classroom. Um, so, you know, she's busy in school, as well as her fashion and design activism. Uh, so her fashion design activism started when she was a teenager, um, 15 or 16, when she started really feeling excluded from the fashion world due to her disability. Um, she would go to the mall with her little siblings and um, they would want to get all these cute clothes and she couldn't, like nothing fit her properly. And if it did fit her, it then had to go to a tailor. So like fit her um trunk I had to go to the tailor so it would fit her lens like she just felt very excluded um so she started a blog that she um worked on part-time for a long time um highlighting the exclusive nature of the fashion industry um and she's quoted saying people didn't take me seriously because of my physical aesthetic so I started blogging and collaborating within the fashion industry. Um, so making herself kind of heard and seen in the fashion world. Um, and then her life completely changed in 2017 when she was invited to give a TED Talk. Um, the TED Talk is called Why Design Should Include Everyone. Um, and she was so nervous she uh, completely messed up in her dress rehearsal, um, saying she like completely forgot two whole paragraphs of her speech and like got completely mixed up. Um, so she was like a nervous wreck, but locked herself in the bathroom before her um, main speech and pulled herself together. And I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Marissa has. But from what I've seen of her, I'm assuming she absolutely killed it. Yeah, I would not have known that if you hadn't said that. It appeared like she was well rehearsed. She knew what she was talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, and one of her key personality traits, which has definitely helped um, her in her crusade to make fashion more accessible, is that she is extremely bold when talking to people. Um, she said that strangers are, tend to be unsure on how to approach her and introduce themselves. So she just walks up to them um, and starts a conversation with people she wants to talk to. Um, people of influence who think she thinks um, can help her make a difference. 
Um, so she'll like walk up to someone, like tug on their um coat sleeve or whatever to get their attention, be like, hi, I'm Sinead. Um, like, how can we make the world a better place? Basically. Um and then um during the Obama administration, she was invited to an event called Design for All highlighting the intersection between fashion and disability. Um, And she originally didn't believe that the invitation was real until she got a follow-up call from the White House asking um, about her RSVP status um, is when it like kind of clicked to her. And then um, she really struggled finding a dress so she sent out a tweet using the power of media and the producer of a river dance saw the tweet and got the river dance costume department to help make a dress for her um which made it very interesting when she was there and people asked her what she was wearing she was like um so couldn't actually find anything um, it's made by the people who make the Riverdance costumes. <laughs> um, but that's changed. She now has a huge wardrobe um, by all sorts of famous designers who she's collaborated with since. Um, she was the first little person to attend the Met Gala in 2019. Um, and she says that she was representing all the people with disabilities at the Met Gala because they were just, they're just so often not part of the conversation, uh, even when talking about inclusion and diversity. And it's not because it's not top of mind, it's not out of malaise, but it still needs to be addressed and still needs to be fixed. Um, and she's so well-spoken and put together, um, Yeah. Um, later that year, so still in 2019, um, Megan Duchess of Sussex was the guest editor for British Vogue and selected Sinead to become, um, one of the cover models, um, highlighting change that needs to happen within the fashion industry as well. Um, and then, um, one of the other crazy bizarre things that she's had has happened is because she's now such an influential, um, voice in the fashion industry. She was at the Green Carpet Fashion Awards. Um, I couldn't find the year for when this happened, but she was sitting beside Paul Andrew from from Mango, um, which is a shoe company. Um, and they were talking during the ceremony and uh, she commented about the lack of shoes for little people. So after the event, he measured her feet and made her custom shoes. And then she invited him to go to the Little People of Ireland convention to measure feet of other little people to help make a line of shoes for them because their feet are just different. Um, And like, it's things that 
um, able people just don't think about like, oh, just buy, you know, smaller shoes, but that's not necessarily the actual solution. Um, so her, you know, fighting to make that happen. Um, she is also a little bit of a sustainability nut. Like it feels like everyone nowadays is. Um, and she wants accessibility and sustainability to grow together, both in the fashion industry and the world um, at large. And she specifically mentioned plastic straws um, while the last five years, plastic straws have become increasingly more controversial with the environmental impacts of them. Um, people with disabilities often need straws to maintain a level of independence. Um, so a flat out band on straws isn't necessarily the answer, but finding a way that, you know, balances st sustainability of the world and that independence for everyone as well. Um, and I think paper straws do that and, um, it's much easier to find um, stainless steel and glass and bamboo and all sorts of, you know, alternatives now, um, which it definitely wasn't when the straw movement started. Um, her proudest moment or proudest achievement is an exhibit at the National Museum of Scotland called Body Beautiful. Um, it's the first ever exhibit in the world on diversity in the fashion world. And her body was cast to make a little person mannequin. So there was a story about how, you know, no one was making clothes for little people. And like the fashion industry said that it's because, you know, no one was interested and stores were saying that like no one was buying it. And mannequin makers were saying, well, like, there's, you know, no need for it. No one wants the, like, no one wants it. So why bother? Um, so one of her crusades or one of her goals has been to kind of highlight the fact that, no, it is needed. It is wanted. Like, there is a breakdown, like, multiple breakdowns to make this a reality. Um, so hopefully, you know, kind of changing that. And she was saying that with the change of the um, just um, body acceptance overall, so having um, more plus size fashion, like actual plus size fashion, not just, you know, bigger clothes um, has helped with that. And it's starting to improve for little people. Um, and because she is, like I said, kind of really busy, um, she is also an ambassador for the Irish Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Children and Irish Girl Guides. Um, she wants, you know, everyone to feel included and it doesn't matter, you know, what you look like. It's who you are that, um, is what, you know, matters at the end of the day. Um, so on top of her activities within the fashion world, uh, she started a podcast, um, in October 2019, 
um, the podcast focuses on empathy, identity, and perception through in-depth interviews. Um, it's called As Me with Sinead. Um, and it has included guests such as Victoria Beckham, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Dan Levy, and Mara Wilson. Um, so some pretty big names, um, kind of all over the place in the celebrity sphere. Um, super cool. Um, and she has four standard questions that she asks in every interview. And um, the only one that I could find um, while I was doing my research, I haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast yet. Um, but one of the standard questions she has is what is it like to live in your body? Um, so the idea behind the question is breaking down, you know, um, not fear, but the unknown of how other people live. So her life and her body is so normal to her. She doesn't think about it. Just like how, you know, your life and your body is so normal. You don't think of it. So asking questions like that to explore um, and to think about, you know, how other people feel in their bodies um, definitely makes conversations a little bit easier. And one last thing is that she wrote a chat a children's book during the COVID lockdowns. Um, so the book was announced in May 2020 um, and it was released in October 2020. It's called Break the Mold and it's about um, disability and LBGTQ, um, just people who are not average uh, different for in whatever way um, and she commented about how um, and like as a kid she never saw herself in books um, and hopes that this you know changes things a little bit for the you know kids today um, yeah like I said when I was researching her, I felt a little depressed about how little I've done in my life um, versus her. Like, I don't have a TED Talk. I haven't been to the Met Gala. I haven't been to the White House. Um, but, you know, she's dizzy. She's um, so well-spoken and put together. Um, I think it helps that she's very outgoing or at least appears very outgoing. Um, and, you know, has the, um, ability to go up and, you know, talk to people and just introduce herself, which is something I don't think I could ever do. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think being in that situation that she is, she just has to, uh, she realizes that if she doesn't do it, no one's going to do it for her. Mm -hmm. So she has to just take that step and scary as it is yeah yeah it um, had to be part of her life mm-hmm. um yeah um I can't wait to curl up and watch that TED talk um it's not a very long one I think it was only like 12 minutes yeah. um but my husband was watching the hockey game or something and I don't want to interrupt him you know enjoying his sports or whatever um <laughs> 
So I haven't watched it yet, but it is on my list of things to do in the next couple of days. I will say I did go on a little bit of a binge watch before this episode. Um, <laughs> as I was eating dinner, I was watching all her, all these different ones that she's been involved in, all these videos on YouTube and they're, yeah, it's really cool to hear from her. Mm-hmm, definitely. I just, I felt like I, I had heard her name before, but didn't know who she was. Um, so yeah, I'm also really excited to listen to the podcast. I love a good podcast and I feel like she's, hers is going to be really good. So yeah excited me too um that brings us to our campfire song keeping with the green theme um we're going to cover two different pathfinder songs pathfinders guiding along sharing a promise and sharing a song planning tomorrow enjoying today pathfinders we're on our way all right, so the Pathfinder song, or Pathfinder songs, plural, um, through my research, like we said, I found two different songs. Um, I thought I was researching one, and then I found a second, and I thought, let's just include them both. This is a Pathfinder episode, might as well. Um, so the first one that I found was a song written by... Um, a man named Robert Crocker. Um, it was written for Girl Guides, so it was included in the book in the book Songs for Canadian Girl Guides, which Girl Guides of Canada published in 1981. So only a couple years after Pathfinders was first formed, um, likely as a result of forming, they wanted to have a song for the Pathfinders. And this song has the lyrics about um, starts off where the girls in the green and blue standing proud and tall. Uh, to our promise and law so true and Canadians all. And then there's only three more verses and it's a fairly short and sweet song, um, mm. which is nice, not too hard to memorize. Um, so this is a song where I think I found a little bit of extra sort of girl guide history that I've connected the dots between things. So it wasn't laid out clearly for me, but I think I found what is to be true about the song. So like I said, it was written by a man, and it turns out that there is, there was a lady by the name of Dorothy Crocker, um, and I thought at first I'm like, is is this Robert Crocker related to this Dorothy Crocker who is involved with GGC? Um, and I have concluded that yes, and it turns out that he is most likely her um, her husband. So Dorothy was a dedicated Girl Guides of Canada member for over 50 years. Um, and she was from the Wyerton area in Ontario. Um, sadly, she passed away on May 8th of 2005. So crazy to think it's like over 15 years ago. But um, she was a very dedicated member and very well known. Um, I went on to discover that um, she actually wrote several books for Girl Guides. So there's the Guide Handbook that was published in 1977 by Girl Guides of Canada, but written by Dorothy Crocker. Um, that's your typical old school guide handbook, everything you need to know. And then I found another series um, called Let's Try It. It was a series of three books that taught various Girl Guide ideas and skills. 
um, and sort of bits of history and whatnot. Um, the first volume, the volumes were done alphabetically. So the first one is Art Appreciation to Fire Safety. The second one is First Aid to Outdoor Ovens. And then the third one is Paper Folding to Yells. Um, and it includes everything in between. Uh, the links that I found for both of them were actually from an Etsy listing, um, sort of like what it, it was listed, like the way eBay items are listed. So it was, um, it was bid upon and the pictures are just incredible. She has such detailed pictures for each of the books. Um, and the illustrations are really cute to look back at. And I just thought they were so cool. And, um, I, I am assuming this is the same Dorothy Crocker. Um, I don't have any real evidence other than like the name is the same and the age and the timeline sort of fits, um, especially with her involvement being over 50 years. It just made sense to me. If I'm wrong, I'm sure somebody will let me know. Well, I hope someone would. <laughs> um, otherwise, I'm just going to go on believing that Dorothy Crocker is related to Robert Crocker and she was the one who wrote all the sandbooks. <laughs> um, and I think... The other really cool thing that I found was that there's actually a trefoil guild unit that was named after Dorothy Crocker. It's called the first Dorothy Crocker trefoil guild. Um, and that was really sweet. I found a little article um, on one of the girl guy council websites and it had, it was like trefoil guild news. And it was, they were all talking about all these uh, activities they had been done doing over the, the year and um they were they were included and I thought that was really cute that they have a, a triple guild unit named after her. Um, one way to keep her memory alive. Um, so yeah, that's that first song. Um, Taryn says this is the one that she's not familiar with. Um, so I'm yeah. curious to know how many people do know that one. I don't know either of them, never taught either. But um, the second one, which is supposedly just called Pathfinders, although it probably is also called the Pathfinder song. Um, yeah. Was when I Marguerite helps. That'd be my guess. Um, yeah. When I suggested Pathfinder song, this is what I thought of. Um, I remember learning it late guides, early Pathfinders, um, kind of with the intention of it being similar to the, guide marching song um i think we only sang it at camp um mm. we didn't really sing it a lot but like it's this is the song that i remember clearly and still vaguely remember the tune and could probably sing it horribly out of key um still today <laughs> Yeah, they're both really nice songs, actually. I kind of like them both. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember if it's this one or the one before. One part goes really high in one of the songs, and it's like, well, I don't know if I could sing that, but it sounds <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, just seems to be the singing style from that era of time in, the, like, the, the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> um, but, I think nice. been the other one. I remember this Pathfinder's uh, song um to be pretty like low-key um it's four verses um that are pretty you know easy to learn straightforward um yeah yeah they're both really nice mm -hmm. and um, uh 
that's essentially it for both of them. Um, not a whole lot more information <laughs> on them. They're, I think because, first of all, they're very specific to Girl Guides of Canada. Um, no one yeah. else has Pathfinders. And therefore, like, here in Canada, I feel like our history or archives on Girl Guides is very limited. Um, so there's not a lot in terms of who wrote songs and where they came from. Whereas, like, more popular songs that are known internationally, you can get a lot more uh, information about them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and songs with more history. Um, like last week with uh, the Quartermaster song. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so I guess that brings us to the end of another episode. Make sure you subscribe to the platform on your favorite podcast listening app or platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find um, and listen, wherever that may be. Make sure you give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Guides Own on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can keep up to date on the newest episodes, any podcast news, and the behind-the-scenes bits, like hopefully our certificates of Canada's Accord that we will share. Yes. Um, and as we part, you, we wish you all, our listeners, good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the sky, all is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.